Genesis chapter 1, please. Yes, greetings from uh, Tasmania. We went to a camp down there, Liffey Falls, if you've heard of that. Just near there, there's a campsite, if you can call it a campsite. It uh, didn't have a lot of facilities. In fact, it was quite sparse in terms of facilities. Uh, there was a mattress in there available for us, and that was it. Uh, and it was an interesting time. At my age, uh, I'm just a little bit used to perhaps a, even a heater would do, but no. I went to bed in my um, flannel under uh, uh, pajamas plus my uh, tracksuit as well uh, and uh, and socks and uh, and a, and a sleeping bag plus two uh, blankets as well. So I wasn't too bad at the end of the day, which is not of interest to you whatsoever. But I just thought I'd say it anyway. Genesis chapter one, and it says, and we're very familiar with these verses, I'm sure. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters and God said, let there be light and there was light. Now we uh, read that as just one little sentence there really uh, uh, and perhaps a very simple statement that God said, let there be light. But of course uh, those who've made a bit of a study of it or those who just generally would be aware that uh, light is a bit more complicated than that. There's a lot of... Uh, uh, complexities and variety in light and you can make quite a study of it and uh, there are various units at, uh, at various levels of uh, school and university which devote their attention to light and uh, lots and lots of people have uh, made all sorts of investigations and measurements and so on and, uh, and got involved in it. Now um, I want to talk a little bit about light tonight but uh, this afternoon but not particularly from that point of view. I want to talk about something that hadn't happened just yet at this stage even though God had introduced uh, no doubt all sorts of uh, uh, qualities and properties and aspects and facets of light, there was one coming a little bit later called uh, bioluminescence. Bioluminescence is a chemical reaction that converts chemical processes into light that takes place in living creatures. And I thought we'd just have a little bit of talk about that uh, this afternoon because when God said let there be light no doubt he was not only thinking about what was happening at that instant when he was introducing electromagnetic waves and all that sort of stuff but he was also thinking about other forms of light that were to come perhaps uh, a little bit later on now I've got a book at home called uh, uh, The Marvels and Mysteries of Our Animal World and one of the uh, topics in that particular book is called The Magic of the Firefly now, a firefly is actually not a fly. That should have been one of the questions last night, true or false. Uh, it's uh, not a fly at all. It's a beetle. It's one of about a, a thousand different varieties of beetles, and some of those beetles uh, are involved in bioluminescence. Chemical reactions take place in their bodies which produce light. And this book of mine says, The Magic of the Firefly. The light of the firefly is one of nature's great miracles. That's interesting because probably this book is evolutionary in its outlook. It doesn't mention God. It didn't even mention God in that sentence. It just mentions the word nature. So somehow or other, nature of itself produced a miracle. Well, that can't happen. Miracles, by definition, is something to do with the supernatural. It's a, an outside intelligent involvement. And, uh, and so here, perhaps unwittingly, or maybe, uh, maybe secretly this person believes there's perhaps a bit more to it, I don't know, but the firefly is one of nature's, or God's, we should say, great miracles. It is light with almost no heat, perfect illumination, something men have not been able to achieve. The greatest firefly show in the world, this book says, 
is that put on during summer evenings in Thailand. There, the male fireflies, or beetles, cluster on trees, a kind of mangrove tree, lining the rivers. Flashing 120 times a minute, twice a second, they synchronise on the same interval, so that one instant there is blackness, the next every tree, every boat on the river is revealed, then blackness, then brilliant light again. And that process is bioluminescence. And the World Book Encyclopedia describes the process, the chemical energy into light. Five chemicals are bound up in the firefly's abdomen by a chemical controller. And when nerve stimulations release another chemical, pyrophosphate, the bond breaks and the reaction produces the light. The light goes out because yet another chemical destroys the pyrophosphate. Now we put that down in just a few words really as a little summary in the World Book Encyclopedia about how fireflies operate. But what an amazing process. Why? How? Where do these chemicals come from? Why are they the right chemicals? What would happen if there wasn't a chemical controller then? I guess the firefly would just be a light all the time. I don't know. Um, maybe it'd just blow up eventually. Uh, they just put these things down as if somehow rather, well that explains it, in the stomach of, uh, of a firefly are five chemicals and there's another one which stops the process until the right moment happens and then all this takes place and they're doing this twice a second, synchronised. This of course is meant to uh, really impress the female fireflies. I guess it might, it might not, I don't know. There's one called the railway beetle. This comes from Paraguay. This one's about eight centimetres. By the way, these fireflies can vary, and so the beetles from the size of a mosquito right through this one's eight centimetres long. And it sends forth a red light from both ends of its body. If it spots danger, it turns on a row of green lanterns. Now, this hasn't been explained to it yet, that green's good and red's the other way, but it doesn't matter. This railway... We might have got it wrong. Perhaps our red lights could be green lights and vice versa, because maybe the beetle got it right. But anyway, when it spots danger, it turns on a row of green lanterns on its right and left sides so that it looks like a small train in the darkness. You've got a row of green lights on one side, and, a green, and red at the front and red at the back, and there's this little beetle, this wonderful little creature that God has made, which is called by us a railway beetle. God may have called it something else. There's one, another beetle called the speed beetle. It glows in the dark like diamonds. And ladies in South America put them in their hair for decoration. These are live beetles, ladies. What do you think? But they look like diamonds. Could be very impressive. There's another beetle called the click beetle. It gives off a strong green light. People in tropical countries sometimes put many of these beetles into a bottle and use them for lanterns. So you're going through the, the jungle with a little bottle of, uh, of click beetles. I'm not sure why they're called click beetles, but perhaps they come on and off um, when you press the top. Uh, one particular variety of the click beetle is the brightest, most luminous animal known to mankind. Now, lots of other animals do this, apart from beetles. Of course, you can go to New Zealand, go to the caves and see the glowworms. Hands up those who have done that. There's a few people have done that. They're not worms, of course, even though we call fireflies flies, but they're not. We call glowworms glowworms, but they're not worms. Uh, but anyway, they're, they're doing the process that, that, that we're talking about here, bioluminescence. There's anglerfish. Now, you may have heard of an anglerfish. There's lots of varieties of anglerfish. Anglerfishes have got a pole coming out the top of the head. 
and uh, they have a little bit of uh, meaty stuff at the top of it. Now, I don't know how this all happened, but evolutionists tell us that these poles, I guess, grew over a period of time or whatever happened. You'd need not just the pole, that looks stupid, you look like uh, something else altogether, but you need a little bit of the, ma- the meaty stuff. That, and the idea is that that attracts other fish, that, that wiggles away up there, uh, because the fish is doing this, and that wiggles away, and then the fish come and they forget there's a big mouth down here, so it gets eaten. But if you have a deep-sea anglerfish way down the bottom of the oceans, then that is absolutely useless because it can wiggle all it's like, but no one else can see it. So no one's going to be attracted to it. So guess what? On deep-sea angler fish, on the little meaty piece, which is the bit they need to have it on, there are bacteria, and those bacteria are bioluminescent. They produce light. Now, that's interesting. What are they doing there? And why are they that particular variety of bacteria? Well, so that, that when that little thing wiggles up there, other fish can see it. And they can't see much else, that's all they can see. The bioluminescence really attracts them and so on. And so they come charging up to this, thinking this is wonderful. And of course the big fish is waiting to get them. Now you need colonies of millions of bacteria to do this. And that's exactly what anglerfish have. There's another fish called the lanternfish. The bacteria, on this occasion it has bacteria, sit on an oval-shaped light organ underneath the eye of the fish. At this location, they are nourished with energy and oxygen through a densely branched network of the fish's tiniest blood vessels. They also have a kind of shutter, a black eye fold that the fish can drop down and turn off the light. If he wants, and some fish do this, the fish can send out blinked light signals. Now, it's not actually in its eye, it's just below its eye. And it maybe might look like a bit of an eye to other fish, I don't know, it might be a distraction or it might be an attraction, I don't know. And they can just blink away. Now that could be a very attractive, I guess, to probably a female fish that says, oh look, oh, he's, he's winking at me. Uh, and uh, with quite a bit of winking ability there, because that's, that's more than a twinkle in the eye, isn't it? Uh, Compton's Encyclopedia says, One type of lanternfish has an upper row of red, blue and violet lights, a lower row of red and orange lights, and red lights on the tail. What a, that's, that, should be, that should be very impressive. Another fish looks like an ocean liner at night with rows of glowing portholes along its sides. Now out there, there's just this amazing variety. When God said, let there be light, you were just thinking of perhaps, uh, you know, uh, Roy G. Biv or something or other, uh, and just the, the, the thing that we might just see in the rainbow. No, no, God had far more variety and imagination here. And over a period of time, we don't know how long, God introduced a, an, an amazing array of creatures. Bioluminescence takes place in many other fish. It takes place in shrimp, squid, jellyfish, fungi, sponges, coral, prawns. There's lots and lots of creatures that exercise this ability. So God has implanted in a whole variety of creatures certain chemicals. And we can study, you can look up the encyclopedias, they'll tell you the, the processes, the chemical reactions and so on, how it all works. They'll give you names for all of these chemicals, of course. And yet somehow or other these are in the bodies or, or parts of the bodies of a whole variety of uh, creatures and God has set them up when he said let there be light he had in mind this uh, an amazing display that eventually was going to take place that we would spend many many years decades centuries making a study of and, uh, and I think that's pretty impressive that God would do that. His imagination, his samples, his illustrations, uh, well, as my book says, they're magical, the, the magic of the firefly. It even says it's miraculous. We'll agree with that. And it's very impressive, of course. Let's go over to uh, Matthew chapter 5. 
I believe that when God said let there be light he actually wasn't really fussed about fireflies but he was about something else and I'll take a little bit of maybe it might even be poetic license here but we will do it anyway in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 14 it says these are the words of Jesus Christ you are the light of the world do we can we imagine that when God said way back then in Genesis let there be light that yes immediately he brought in a whole range of different things that we can investigate and we can talk about the wave properties and all the particle properties of light and we can go into the speed of light and uh, some people say it's been varying over the years others argue against that and so we can make all sorts of connections with a whole range of stuff plenty of things to talk about maybe you're thinking beyond that and thinking well I'm going to give them a pretty good display sometime or other in the future people are going to go to Thailand and be incredibly impressed by the the brilliance and then the darkness and the brilliance and the darkness and they'll be fascinated they'll take special trips there'll be tours to various caves in New Zealand there'll be various other things that'll take place I'm sure God could have uh, imagined envisaged all that taking place but could he have in his mind that there was going to be a people who are going to become the light of the world Jesus Christ was the light of the world. The Bible says that thy word is a lamp unto my feet. Maybe he thought about that too. When he thought about let there be light, perhaps he thought about the time I'm going to send Jesus Christ. He'll light up the world. I'll send him a second time and that'll really light up the world. Maybe he thought about that. Maybe he thought about, yes, I'll send them my word. Jesus Christ is the word made flesh and that'll lighten their path. That'll give them something to be uh, led by. Perhaps he also thought that, yes, I'm also going to establish a people who will be the light of of the world not chemical luminescence but Holy Ghost fire and light and life and power it goes on to say a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid another translation says you are the world's light a city on a hill you're the city and I say this is very impressive I, uh, one long long time ago did some follow up in Hong Kong I'm very happy to go to Hong Kong do some follow-up. That's what we did. We had a few meetings in Hong Kong. My mother was with me at that time. And we had some meetings in a motel there. A few people were receiving the Holy Spirit and so on. And if you've ever been to Hong Kong, one of the amazing impressions is when you can go from one part to the other on a ferry. And the ferry, I think, costs you something like the massive sum of 22 cents or something or other. And when you just look at the harbour of Hong Kong, at that time at least, the lights were just amazingly impressive. And so we can, we can perhaps get a picture. I think a lot of people like to travel up to a, you know, the top of a hill somewhere other and overlook a city and, and see the lights of the city. We put up towers so you can see the lights of the city. You can go to New York and go up uh, the various towers. Some of you can't now, but others you could. Uh, and you go up and, and see uh, uh, what's uh, the, the, the impressiveness, I suppose, of, of the lights of a city. The Lord is saying, well, you're, you're impressive. You're a city. God's people. God's spirit-filled people lit up by the Holy Ghost and fire, uh, a city on a hill, it says in this translation, glowing in the night for all to see. So God, I believe, has set up the best display of all. The bioluminescence is impressive in various creatures and all these done is, is amazing. But the transaction that takes place because of the cross of Calvary, because you and I are spirit-filled, born again, because we are the lights of the world, is the most impressive thing, of course. Verse 15, neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it gives light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. 
Now today, in our, our world, the word good works has a different set of meanings than what we uh, understand from the Bible. If you talk about a person doing good works today, you're thinking about a person who goes into some mission field or maybe collects money, stands out in the rain with a tin or something or other, or does a whole range of that. It's interesting, if you just duck over to chapter, this is a bit of a sidelight here, chapter 6 and verse 1, take heed that you do not your arms before men. Now that's, the word arms there is a bit like what we'd understand today, to be good works. We talk about the, the word good works today, those words. But it says here, be careful you don't do them before men to be seen of them. Yet we just read the verse in verse 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. It would suggest to me that good works and arms are two different things. The things that we do to help one another and to be involved and make a contribution and so on, we're not uh, looking to, uh, for anybody particularly to take much notice of that. That's before God Almighty and we're, we're serving the Lord as we're serving one another. But in this case here in verse uh, 16 of chapter 5 again, we're talking here about something different. We're letting our light so shine. What is the light here? Isn't this Christ in us, the hope of glory? Isn't this the radiance of, uh, of, of the Holy Ghost experience? Isn't this our, our, our change now, our difference our attitude, our, our new character in the Lord. Isn't this about how we're representing uh, the Word of God now? So yes, that's meant to be seen. We are meant to demonstrate our, our new Christian ethics now. We're a different person now. We've got a different outlook on life. And we do treat one another and we do uh, conduct ourselves differently. So you're the light of the world. And uh, let that light shine. For what reason? For yourself? Of course not. That your Father, which is in heaven, might be glorified glorify your father in heaven so we've got a responsibility to do things and to conduct our life in a way that's going to glorify our heavenly father that's our lifestyle that's approach it says in romans chapter 12 i'm reading from the amplified never lag in zeal and earnest endeavor be a glow and burning with the spirit serving the lord glow little glow worm that's what the lord's got in mind for us we're not, we might be called glowworms perhaps, but we're not actually glowworms just as glowworms themselves are not worms. We are God's new creatures, but we're to glow, we're to be on fire. We might not be fireflies, but we have to be firebrands for the Lord. We've got to be representing him. It's a bioluminescence of a different nature, Holy Ghost reaction within us that produces uh, the light and glory of the Lord, that the Lord might be glorified in, in all that we do. Let's go to Philippians a little further into the New Testament. Philippians chapter 2. Comes after Ephesians, which I think was one of the questions last night. We might look at verse 12. I might just read it from the Amplified, but you can follow it in your King James Version or a version you might have in front of you, perhaps the New King James. Um, Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12, and I'm going to read from the Amplified. For those who are not familiar with the Amplified Bible, you will see it does exactly what it says. It amplifies the Greek here which sometimes it's not always easy to get one word translation for one Greek word the Greek has a lot of connotations in it and it depends on the circumstances and so on and it just might need a little more further explanation from time to time we give it by just making our own study or we give it by looking at the Amplified because they've done a study of their own so I'm looking at verse 12 therefore my dear ones as you've always obeyed my suggestions, so now, not only with the enthusiasm you would show in my presence, but much more because I'm absent, work out, cultivate, carry out to the goal, fully complete your own salvation with reverence and awe and trembling, with self-distrust, that is, with serious caution, 
tenderness of conscience, watchfulness against temptation, timidly shrinking from whatever might offend God and discredit the name of Christ. Now, you shouldn't have read ahead. That's still verse 12. That's all verse 12 in the Amplified. Verse 13. Not in your own strength, for it is God who is all the while effectually at work in you, energizing and creating in you the power and the desire both to will and to work for his good pleasure and his satisfaction and delight verse 14 do all things without grumbling and fault finding and complaining against God and questioning and doubting amongst yourselves verse 15 that you may show yourselves we to show ourselves Fireflies put on a display. We don't put on display particularly in that sense. But we're on display. We're on show. We are people now who have been enlisted by God Almighty to represent him. So in every department, we are meant to show forth the light and glory of the Lord. That you may show yourselves to be blameless and guileless, innocent and uncontaminated, children of God without blemish, faultless, unrebukable in the midst of a crooked and wicked generation a generation spiritually perverted and perverse among whom you are seen as bright lights stars beacons shining out clearly in a dark world holding out to it and offering to all men the word of life so that's the message we are we are the warning we are the brightness, we are the glory, we are the, the radiance of, of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. I read here that someone once said, when you talk about heaven, let your face light up with heavenly glory. When you talk about hell, your everyday face will do. Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13 and verse 11. And that knowing the time that now is a high time to wake out of sleep for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed a lot of people have been in the Lord for quite some time some here have come to the Lord in the uh, in the 60s early 60s I don't think anybody anybody come before that anybody come to the Lord in 1950s no so we go back to the 1960s that's far enough uh, that's a that's a fair fair span of time and I think a number of people have seen some instances in, in the world that have taken place that probably we, we might have thought well this is it by the way, right now, today, uh, is it today? Uh, yes, I think it is. Or is it yesterday? What, what date are we up to? What, is it the 7th or the 6th? Or 7th today? Uh, well, yesterday was uh, the uh, anniversary of the dropping of the bomb in Hiroshima, 60 years on, August the 6th. 1945 and there were literally thousands of people uh, uh, not only in Japan but around the world who were just uh, commemorating that particular time and of course I'm sure people even back then were thinking wow the scriptures elements shall melt with fervent heat they were starting to see the effects of it I'm sure some people were thinking maybe this is it and I'm sure the Lord is just keeping us on our toes all the way through uh, beyond that 1948 uh, when there was uh, the war of independence for Israel uh, because that's the Middle East scene I'm sure many people then thought well okay it didn't happen in 1945 but maybe this is it you know the, the armies are gathering against Israel as the Bible seemed to indicate and as time went on there have been further instances the Suez Canal crisis in the 50s and so then we get to 1967 a six day war and people who have been in the Lord who have been following Bible prophecy and, uh, and looking at the events of the world could uh, line them up now we can't line up obviously any one incident 
It wasn't 1963. The Yom Kippur War in 1973, many people thought well, that might be it. It wasn't it. There have been incidents and things are happening all the way through. Um, but one thing is for certain, we're not supposed to get complacent. It says here that the time that is now is high time to awake out of sleep. Don't get sleepy. Don't get carried away, even those who have been around for a long time, and reflect back, oh, yes, there's been a number of, uh, of crises. They're just like birth pangs, the Bible says. It's just reminding us. Very few women give birth just on the spot like that. Maybe some do, but generally there's a process, and sometimes those processes might take well. You might get some warning signals even weeks in advance, and then it intensifies as life goes on, and, uh, and sometimes there's a few false alarms, and people charge off to the, the hospital, and uh, it's not, no, no, relax. You know, it's not happening yet. So we go home and then it happens again the next night or two nights later or whatever. And the Lord is likening that whole situation to that particular analogy that we're going to see ushered in a new age, a new birth, a new concept. Jesus Christ is coming back. There's going to be some amazing transformations take place on this planet. And the Lord is giving us some signals so we don't lose sight of that. I guess if you're a pregnant mum to be you don't sort of you can't really lose sight of it um, but uh, there's just a little reminders that this could happen any time from now and so it starts to uh, intensify and build up and we are seeing an intensification and a build up in this world today and any uh, body can uh, identify that whether they believe the bible or not and people who don't even believe the bible or god or anything like that are still identifying we've got problems can we survive to the year 2030 and many uh, analysts are saying no we can't for one reason or another and the Bible has spoken of all of these things so the Bible reminds us that uh, well our salvation is nearer than when we first believed of course it is even if we uh, were 27 years ago for Jim or whatever and maybe Jim himself thought over those years this could be it that could be it and so on we have to have an air of anticipation and expectation that any moment from now it could happen at least our attitude should reflect that at least our light should be shining uh, regardless verse 12 the night is far spent the day is at hand let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light let us be fireflies for the Lord let us walk honestly as in the day not in rioting and drunkenness and chambering and wantonness not in strife and envying but put ye on clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof no provision for it be warned the Bible saying take care be alert be in the right place at the right time doing the right things that's the message of the word of God let me read that in the amplified from verse 11 besides this you know what a critical hour this is well of course it's critical it's always been critical because you don't know what tomorrow will bring you don't know whether or not we'll be on the planet tomorrow whether because Jesus Christ returns at 11.13 tonight wouldn't it be funny if that happened tonight? They'd say, what an amazing prophet he was. 11.13 tonight or, uh, or some other time or whether or not that, uh, well, uh, our days are numbered, the Bible says. Some people get 93 of them. Some people don't get anywhere near that. And sometimes it happens unexpectedly. It just could happen. It could happen that you go to bed tonight and when you wake up three years, two months later, the Lord has returned. You won't know any difference. You just went to bed tonight, said your little prayers, thought about the pastor and prayed for him, pastors, and prayed for them. Um, thought about all the other little bits and pieces, make sure you've sorted out your affairs with people, 
No grudges, no grumbling, no mumbling. Go to bed, all is well. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Put your little head on the pillow. And the next thing you know, trumpets. You think, what? Is there a party across the road? It's the Lord's return. We don't know, do we? You don't know. You're saying, oh, he's carrying on a bit there. One of these days, that's exactly what's going to happen. You may not necessarily put your head on a pillow. You might be run over by a steamroller. It could be. Possibly. It's a theoretical possibility. You could. There must be people somewhere in this planet who are run over by steamrolls. I don't want that to happen to you. That could be a very slow process, and there'll be a lot more of you to bury. We could roll you up, though. Uh, <laughs> sometime, somehow, somewhere, our days are finished, or before that, the Lord returns, and your days are finished anyway. And that's why they're saying, besides this, you know what a critical hour this is. Every hour is critical. The Bible says so. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. It wasn't yesterday. It's not tomorrow. It's today. Today is the salvation hour. This is it. It's not about, well, well, I'll, I'll get my act together at 2 o'clock, 4 o'clock, 6 o'clock, 10 o'clock tonight, or whatever. It's about having our relationship with the Lord established. As uh, our brother Jim said, it might help. It'll help all right. When the Lord returns, it's the only thing you've got going for you. But Jesus Christ is going to look favorably upon us and says, yes, he's part of the church. She's part of the action. Up with me. And up we go. And if you reckon that we're the lights of the world now, what are we going to be like then when we take off? Uh, besides this, you know what a critical hour this is, how it is high time now for you to wake up out of your sleep, roused to reality for salvation. Your final deliverance is nearer to us now than when we first believed, when we first adhered to, trusted in, and relied on Christ the Messiah. When you got spirit-filled, we have people, of course, that tell you that you don't. It's not just a matter of a, some wishy-washy believing where you just make some general assent and uh, recognition of God or something or other. A large number of people do that and they have no connection with God whatsoever. You've got to be born again of his spirit, of course because we trust in him because we rely on him because we obey him because we put our life in his hands the night is far gone the amplified says and the day is almost here hallelujah now paul was saying this two thousand years ago not quite but he knew his days were numbered he said i finished my course i've run the race i've done what i'm supposed to do now i'm ready somehow or other at some point in life we've got to make sure that we're ready and the bible's telling us it ought to be now the night is far gone and the day is almost here. Let us drop then, fling away, the Bible says, fling away the works and deeds of darkness and put on the full armour of the light. We, we, uh, we are sometimes, I'm a, I'm a bit of a hoarder. My wife, uh, you know, has got to, when I go away, she's got to just go through the cupboard. That's her big chance. Her window of opportunity is to go through the cupboard when I'm away. And the truth of the matter is I probably, even though I'm not very happy about this, I probably don't even know what she's thrown out. It's amazing, isn't it? But I'm crooked on it just the same. Because there must have been something in there I wanted to wear at some point in time. However, I've got all these shirts in there that I never wear at any point in time. However, I don't, want to, I don't want to throw them away. But the Bible says, fling them away. Not your old shirts. Your old garments. The, the ways of this world. Fling them away. Get rid of them. Don't hoard them up in your cupboards. Don't hoard them up in your mind. Don't carry your burdens. Don't carry your grudges and your bitternesses and your hang-ups and your addictions. Get rid of them all. Start afresh. Any preconceived religious ideas? Get rid of them. New start. The Lord has filled us with the Holy Ghost and fire now. Let's start again. We might have been attached to a particular church. The Lord has called us out and called us to be separate now and start afresh in the, in the, in the ways of the Lord. Fling away the works and the deeds of darkness and put on the full armor of light. 
Let us live, it says in verse 13, the first part of verse 13. Let us live and conduct ourselves honorably and becomingly as in the open light of day. I believe quite frankly, that when the Lord said, let there be light, he was anticipating a wonderful time when this planet would contain literally millions of spirit-filled people with this enormous potential to light up the lives of not only their own and their family, but all those around about them and to pave the way for others. I've got a little example here. Now, look, before I do that, we'll go back to Genesis chapter 1 again, where we were half an hour ago. Genesis chapter 1. It says, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void. Now this is a, a parallel to us. There was a time when we were really without form and void. Oh, we might have had a muscular body. We might have had an intelligent brain. We might have been involved in all sorts of things. But as far as God is concerned, we were really not much, nothing, empty, confused, chaos, disorder, nothing really of any great value of consequence. And the darkness was upon the face of the deep. Yes, we were living in a dark life. But we might have been more obviously dark than some others. We might have been living an immoral life. We might have been on drugs. We might have been an alcoholic. We might have been a, a drug addict. We might have been a, um, perhaps a person who was a, a gambling or whatever like I was. There may have been other sorts of people who were, who were just, they felt reasonable people, nice to get along with and so on. But as far as God was concerned, unless you've got the light of life, the Holy Ghost, you're in darkness. And so we're in darkness. And what happens to darkness? How do you solve the problem? And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. The only solution to confusion, uncertainty, chaos, voidness, emptiness, things that are not working and so on, and darkness and all of that, is to have the Spirit of God move upon the situation. You know, you don't go into a, into a dark room and beat out the darkness. You turn on the light. That's how it works. And so the Lord is saying here, turn on the light. That's the answer. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. It was the answer back then as the Spirit moved. It's the answer today as the Spirit moves. It's the answer for us, whether we've been Spirit-filled for 10 years, 20 years, or, or 40 years. Turn on the light. Be switched on for the Lord is what it's really all about. The Lord has given us the capacity. We've got all the necessary ingredients within ourselves now to let our light so shine before men. We've got an opportunity to glow little glowworms. Glow. It can happen. And in verse 4, and God saw the light. No doubt he was impressed back then. It would have been an amazing display when uh, light first burst into the, into the uh, arena. And ever since then, God has no doubt been impressed with the displays of light. I don't know whether God looks down on Thailand and sees his little fireflies and sort of talks to the angels and says, have a look at that. I did that way back then when I said, let there be light. Look at it now. 120 times a minute would be pretty impressive I think God's got better things to do now but I'm sure that's an impressive display and array but something far beyond all of that and God said let there be light and he said let there be spirit filled people let them be in Melbourne let them be in the city of lights where they might be the true light where they might be the true radiance and God saw the light God sees us God's eyes are upon us for blessing and what did he say? And God saw the light, that it was good. That's what God sees. He sees the light of the Holy Ghost experience in men and women's lives is good. It pleases him. It's what he created the planet for. When he spoke, he spoke for us to be instilled with the power. And God divided the light from the darkness. He did it back then. He's doing it today. We're in a world of darkness. 
and you're the light. The Bible says so. Let's um, just read this little example to you. I just read a little article which says a traveller was uh, going one dark and stormy night to a particular lighthouse. He was just a, a touristy person. And while standing looking on, the keeper of the house boasted of its brilliancy and beauty, observing there were few such lights in the world beside this brilliant lighthouse. The traveller said thoughtlessly, it may be, what if one of these burners should go out tonight? What? said the keeper. Go out, sir? Oh, sir, said he, look at that dark and stormy sea. You cannot see them, but there are ships passing there to every point of the compass. Were the light to go out from my inattention, in six months news would arrive from every part of the coast that such ships and crews were lost through my neglect. No, no, God forbid that such a thing should ever occur. I feel every night as I look at my burners as if all the eyes of all the sailors of all the world were looking at my lights and watching me. Now that's just a little illustration, but you can see there's a parallel there and you can use your own imagination or I can help you out. We are the lights on the candlestick. We are the city. We are the representation. We're the lighthouses now. And there's a lot of lost people in darkness and stormy world out there. And their eyes are upon us. If they're not upon us, we need to shine a bit brighter so they can look at us and see that we've got an answer. Not within ourselves, not because of ourselves, not because of anything we've done, because the Lord has been so gracious to light up our lives. We sing sim similar choruses and songs like that. And, and we should remind ourselves that's what we are. We are God's lights in a dark world far superior to anything else he's ever produced although the rest is magnificent and God has gone to a lot of trouble to set us up because he loves us because he wants to use us because he's got a plan for us because he's got a glorious future for us I'm going to con conclude in Daniel chapter 12 if you can find Ezekiel you're very very close to Daniel chapter 12 and verse 1, it says, In that day shall Michael stand up, the great prince which stands for the children of thy people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that same time. And at that time thy people shall be delivered, every one that shall be found written in the book of life, which we trust is all of us. And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Let me read that from another translation. Many from among those who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, these to everlasting life, but those, that is the rest of the dead, to shame and everlasting contempt. There's a division taking place. It's happening now. God is setting forth his light and he's dividing the darkness from the light. Walk ye as children of light. If we do that, if we stay in the light, if we're God's people, if we're lit up by God's power and God's grace and God's mercy and God's love, there's a day coming soon. Whether we die now or whether, whether other people died 1,900 years ago, it makes no consequence. Paul is not disadvantaged because he lived 1,900 years ago or more. You won't be disadvantaged if you die tonight, prophesied by Darrell Williams that you put your head in your pillow and you're done for well you won't be arguing with me because the next thing you know is going to be uh, this enormous uh, return uh, process of the Lord and all the glory that goes with it you won't be missing out in fact I've said from this platform many times I'll say it again that's the way I want to go don't wake me up halfway through the night if I'm going let me go just check it out just see he's all right. yes he's going let him go just go, get out of the room we don't want to, I don't want to go, I'm a coward, I don't want to go through anything. Just, uh, just meet the Lord in the air. And, and many people are going to do that, we read here. Many of that, them that sleep in the dust of the earth. How many? Not many, compared to the billions that have gone before us. 
uh, and some to shame and to everlasting contempt. That's the rest. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament. And they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. Wow. If you're wise and you live and preach righteousness, we are going to be transfigured. There'll be no light that'll compare to this one. This will outshine Thailand a billion times more. And we're all going to be lit up in unison. We won't be going out. There'll be no flaps to come down, no blinking. This is just going to be eternal glory. And we're uh, not surprised that we, we're told by Paul and others that we need to treat this as a critical hour. The Lord's about to burst forth on the scene. We're about to go up and we need to be about God's business. Be switched on for the Lord. And all the people said.